Welcome to Hiraith, a home for the left in Wales. Tonight we're talking about the Welsh tourism industry. Joining us, we have Jim Jones, who is the CEO of North Wales Tourism. Hello, Jim. Evening to you. Nice to be here. We also have Edward Evans, who's the chair of Keep Wales Tidy. Hello, Ed. Hi. Just so everyone knows, obviously, I imagine there's been quite an impact to the tourism industry as a result of the pandemic. But what sort of state was the Welsh tourism industry before lockdown, Jim? From our perspective, um, in North Wales, we, we were what we called, and many times we did call it, we had a booming tourism economy. We had a lot of confidence in our industry. We were quite confident going forward in promoting ourselves as the adventure capital of Europe. Um, for obvious reasons, with all the investment that's gone on for the five or six years. And we were looking forward to a very, very prosperous uh, 2020. Yeah, look, um, a little bit different to Jim, really. I'm, I'm more of an observer in this respect from a, from a tourism point of view. What I've noticed is there's a number of sectors who actually, um, before COVID, were, were struggling anyway. Take, take the uh, you know, town centres and so on, the retail sector, they were struggling. And, and COVID has just made things that little bit worse. I, I'm slightly different to Jim. I'm thinking that the certain parts of the tourism sector were not necessarily doing so fantastically well. And perhaps we'll pick through that as we, uh, as we go through the podcast. But uh, I know there are certainly some high-level places, particularly up in North Wales, Zipway and so on, which, which are clearly doing well. So it's a tale of uh, two cities potentially on this. What do you think COVID has really done in the Welsh tourism industry? It featured a lot in the summer on the news. Very bluntly, it's been absolutely catastrophic. For the industry and again I can only speak of North Wales because that's my patch and I know it really well and I know um, you know it's worth 3.2 billion to our economy and if you think at the beginning of 2020 um, obviously we had the winter many businesses closed down for the winter and so on then we had the real bad spell of weather so we call that you know the second winter and then as people and businesses start to invest into their their business for example a hotel who wants to invest in new curtains new carpets some of them take extended overdrafts expecting a booming easter and a very busy easter and um and that didn't happen and i think that's what knocked everyone for six and um so the word is definitely catastrophic it's going to take a long long time to recover properly um, Ed is absolutely right, by the way. There's a lot of businesses um, that were struggling already. I think there's an example in Clandidno. We had seven you know, hotels uh, that closed down, big, big hotels. And uh, that wasn't any fault of COVID. So, um, yeah, so the industry, as far as we're concerned, it was doing extremely well, a lot of investment coming in and so on. But there are other parts of the industry that were you know, struggling. What about you, Ed? I, I know you're looking at other sectors as well, but... I also know that your work with Brecon Beacons National Park. You know, how do you think you know the areas like the national parks have managed with COVID? We saw those days where Wales was in lockdown and we were getting visitors from everywhere. Yeah, it was an interesting one actually. I, I, I must admit, you mentioned that I, I, I'm the chair of Keep Wales Tidy. Used to be chair of the Brecon Beacons National Park Authority as well till a few few months ago, and um, so so it had some sort of flavour of, of of what was happening there. Some of the challenges for some of the businesses. It was interesting actually in the honeypot sites which were, have, have really taken a bit of a hit. I guess it's a little bit similar up in, uh, up in North Wales with uh, Eruri and Snowdonia and some of the, you know, the people just jamming into those areas. I think more, more, uh, more generally, I suppose, through the COVID period, 
bottom line is if you were in self-catering or anything like that, you just, you just didn't have any business, did you? You know, you were struggling. You might have got by on some government grants for a while, but, you know, that's not going to take you very far. So, yeah, I'd agree with Jim. Really, really difficult for that period, particularly as it was such great weather as well. But coming through that, I, you know, I suspect Jim might add something to this, but it must have been a, a bit of a bounce back, I think, over the last... Uh, last month or so, which probably makes this current lockdown period now as we're heading into all the more difficult to, 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 to take on board, really. Yeah, yeah, Ed, yeah, absolutely right, because we, we've had a lot of feedback and our, our business, North Wales Tourism, has been going 30 years. We have constantly been in touch with our businesses. So basically what I say comes from what the businesses are telling us because um, we kind of lobby and represent on their behalf. But August has been very very busy for everybody our hoteliers our restaurants you know the self-catering glamping has gone absolutely crazy and um and you know obviously we've had fairly decent weather as well and um september is looking good and also advanced bookings in october are looking good because you know staycation is here for quite some time people are desperate to get out out you know from their their homes and in our case our domestic market is the northwest and some of the Midlands. So they're desperate to get into the open space. So, you know, we, we, it's looking okay. Um, we're not out of the woods yet because there's big issues along the line, furlough stopping and, um, and other things. You know, so that's gonna be a real, real test for, for the industry. But at this moment in time, even though we were slow coming out of lockdown, August has been a really good month from the feedback that we've had from our businesses. Perhaps I can add add to that actually, because um, we 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 booked a place in as a family in in West Wales um, quite early on in this. You know, we cancelled all the foreign stuff because uh, we just weren't, weren't going to take the risk, I guess. And uh, I'm glad we stuck with it. We went down to Aberporth in West Wales, absolutely beautiful. And um, I think if anybody's tried to get a late booking there, forget it for August. It was uh, chock a block. Well, what you know, one of the interesting points for this pod for us, gents, was. Um, you know, there was a lot of conflict between visitors to Wales and the tourist industry. How do you think that played out over the summer, on social media anyway? It got a little bit unpleasant at times, I would say. The thing is, it's always been there. It's always been an underlying issue. And especially, you know, there's been some quite politically sensitive issues, second homeowners and so on, um, that have, um, have generated a lot of um, speak on social media. A lot of anti-visitors coming into the area, especially the more west you go in North Wales. So it's been it's been difficult because, you know, when we talk about communities and we talk about you know people don't want visitors flocking into their communities and so on. You know, the the businesses in tourism and hospitality are part of those communities, and we would we we had a deluge of emails constantly, phone calls. You know, because right the way through this, we've been operational and we've been trying to help as much as we possibly can, lobby where we can with our MPs and our, um, our assembly members and so on. And that's basically what we've been doing on their behalf. And to listen to some of the stories where people have invested their livelihoods, their pensions into those businesses, and at a click of a button, they've gone. They've lost thousands and thousands. You know, one person, £20,000 booking just gone. And no outlook for for a foreseeable time on how they're going to generate some income to survive and that's and you know literally you know people have been in tears because they see and they fear their business is going to go down and that's always been the challenge because even though we've asked them can we use your story can we share it with the media 
they're very, very reluctant to do that. And, um, and that's, that's also an issue. But I, I just think, you know, businesses are fundamental part of the community. They are desperate for visitors to come on. I didn't hear many businesses saying they didn't want visitors to come flocking into different parts of North Wales. Again, as an observer, I guess, not, not, not as, as close to it as, as Jim, but for, for me, um, you know, there were a lot of emotions around this. Um, there was a political aspects to some of it as well, you know, there, there, all sorts of different things. For me, it, it, it's about respect uh, more than anything. It's, it, it's, it's respect for those people coming into some of those areas. And let's face it, some of those areas are quite, can be quite sparsely populated, quite fragile when you've got a pandemic, pandemic underway. And you're hearing some some quite tough stories of things that are happening in maybe some of the more populous areas of uh, not just you know England or but but Wales as well, and so there's there's always going to be some tensions there. There's going to be nervousness. Some people will use it in different ways. I fully understand the needs of those businesses to want you know people coming in, but you know I visited a few places um, uh, through 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 some of them in West Wales, some of them in North Wales, particularly as a, as a prime example. Oh, it was a bit scary in places. It really was, you know, um, and I'm not convinced that everybody visiting did show the respect that they should have done. Um, respect and sometimes the lack of it, I don't think, helped um, on both sides. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right, because I think COVID has probably made us um, extra sensitive of physical space. And we, we currently need more of that. So, you know, having lots of visitors come into small communities, no wonder people, you know, feel quite tense about it because... You know, there's not enough space for them in the shops, there's not enough space for them in the towns. And, um, and then on the other side of the coin, these people, some of them, you know, in our domestic market, which in the past that we rely on, you know, to keep our economy going, you know, have been probably holed up in a, you know, an apartment block for two, three, four months. And they're just craving for their, you know, the mental well-being, the mental wealth to get out there and um, enjoy the open you know, countryside that we have in abundance. So it's, um, it's, it's a real tough one. And I, I totally sympathize with those communities that have had that peace and that tranquility for you know, quite some time. And then all of a sudden they've been invaded with you know, visitors. Um, it, it's, a real, it's a real tough call. But when does, you know, when does it end? You know, how long is COVID gonna be here for? Do we say, right, no visitors coming in until COVID's finished? That could be two years time. And the decimation that would do to those communities and not just the people who work in tourism hospitality. You think about the, you know, the farmers, the butchers, the grocers, you know, the builders, the, win the window cleaners, you know, the taxi drivers. It's that, all that infrastructure supports tourism and none of them have probably been earning a living whilst the, you know, tourism hasn't been flourishing within those communities. The numbers in West Wales and in sort of areas that we're talking about here with regards to COVID have been quite quite low obviously we're now seeing an uptick in in the rates all across wales not in just in these areas but do you think there's a danger that this influx is sort of undermining the good work that these rural communities were doing in terms of keeping those numbers down well i, I don't think it's just the rural communities that are working to keep the numbers down i think the mass majority of people are working to keep those numbers down and they are fortunate because of the rural location that they live that they are relative, relatively few COVID cases and I can understand you know how fearful they are you know that goes without saying you know so you, you totally understand that but as I said then but when, when do you stop when do you allow the visitors to come back into somewhere like Kerry Duyun because all those people I just mentioned rely on visitors you know to give them that livelihood 
and it's a real, real tough call. And I think we've seen some examples um, in North Wales and Snowdonia. You know, you look at the likes of Abbasork, but the community made the place nicer to welcome, you know, the visitors back. You know, and, and that was really good to see because, you know, I read social media and I see all the, the anti-visitor and so on, which makes obviously makes me sad because, you know, we're trying to encourage as many people to come in and enjoy North Wales, um, you know, so it's difficult when, you know, when you're, you're up against, you know, that, that type of rhetoric, but then, you know, it's, it's also tough for them as well because they've had that peace and tranquility, which they probably crave. Um, but as I said before, the businesses aren't telling us that. So the businesses from Northwest Wales aren't telling us that they don't want the visitors coming in and they're very much part of that community as well. But uh, sorry, just one more thing, as Ed said, it's about respect. You know, our marketing campaign is all about visit, you know, North Wales safely, respect North Wales and enjoy North Wales. And I think, you know, the, the, the small minority that all of a sudden get polarised on social media as, you know, creating all this, all this hate from the communities because they leave in rubbish or they're not respecting social distancing and so on. Um, you know, I think the vast majority of people are looking after themselves and respecting other people's space because, um, as I said, it's um, something we crave for at the moment is that physical space and physical distancing. I do think that for me, one of the things that's, uh, that's been highlighted through the, 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 this COVID period, though, is um, given the amount of staycations, you know, they've they clearly increased, is the pressure that's put on our, um, our infrastructure. Um, you know, whether that be the roads, the, the parking, some of the physical, you know, physical buildings that we're in. It's, it's kind of, it was always an issue there. It was always, it's always been a problem around where do you park around the hotspots and so on. But it's, it's kind of brought it to a sharper focus now because you've got even more people trying to, clap, you know, cram into smaller spaces. And the infrastructure is really creaking, really struggling to, uh, to, to, to cope with it all, you know. And um, I'd be interested to know what some of Jim's thoughts on that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a lot of thoughts on that because um, prior to me um, taking over uh, North Wales Tourism, I used to be the head of tourism communities in Conway Council. So I've had um, quite a, a number of years of experience working in the public sector. And I was absolutely passionate about managing the basic fundamentals of the, of the infrastructure for tourism destinations. Everyone could see this come in. Everyone could see, once lockdown was lifted, they could see the stream of people wanting to visit, not just you know, people from outside of Wales, but also local people as well, wanting to visit our national parks. We knew this was going, we knew this was going to happen, yet we weren't prepared for it again. And it's just constant, same things are happening time and time again and have been happening for years. We can't cope. We haven't got the infrastructure in order to cope with that demand and we're not doing anything about it. So for me, I think we should have you know, planned it better. And I say we, I'm talking about local government, I'm talking about the private sector, I'm talking as a, as, as a national park as well. We should have treated this lift of lockdown as a major event. And I think when you look at the Estedford that comes into these small communities, and we had the Estedford, national Estedford coming through Clangoughlin last year, 150,000 people came to Plan Roost. They didn't just sit back and let it happen. They had a plan in place to deal with this huge influx into a small little village in the heartland of the Conway Valley. And I think what we should have done 
is got together a lot earlier to plan to say, this is what we expect, this is what we need to put in place and treat it as one big six weeks or four or five weeks, whatever we had of the summer, as one big festival and deal with it accordingly as you would if you were organising a huge festival. Whilst we look at the long-term planning, which needs to take place because there's nothing worse than seeing all these visitors who come to North Wales to enjoy it, being ticketed, having their cars towed away because they're illegally parking. And, um, and that's because, in my view, not enough signage, not enough information, definitely not enough car parking, and we need to be a lot better at organising and sorting that out. We, we had a number of these, you know, in the Beacons National Park as well, and one of the, the key hotspots is, well, it, yes, Penavan, but it's also the, the waterfalls country, you know, around uh, Stradvest, uh, Pender in those areas. You know, and we were doing some work way before COVID. Um, we've got some small communities there. Um, there's a boundary between police forces, local authorities. Quite difficult to pull all those different agencies together to come up with a solution. We were getting there, but extremely slowly. And I do wonder sometimes if we, when we consider investing in infrastructure, we tend to follow some quite um, standard procedures. They tend to be economically focused. Perhaps we need to shift a little bit, looking at more social-based um, prioritisation, should we say, so that we can tackle these issues. Because those problems are only going to get worse now, the longer COVID goes on and, and the more staycations we have. So, you know, I would certainly like to see agencies coming together uh, from Welsh Government, police, etc., to come up with some proper solutions in time for the next influxes we get. The, the reality is for Snowdonia though and, and the Brecon Beacons, um, this is um, 12 months of the year now so uh, we desperately need to sort something out. You mentioned that anti-visitor rhetoric Jim and uh, I, I don't think it's huge but it, it is there on social media. Do you think that the inability of the authorities to to make these locations, the honeypot locations, work a bit better than what they do is that part of what drives that kind of social media argument? Uh, quite possibly. You know, this, this all started, especially the anti-visitor started a long time ago when, you know, probably around about, I would say, March, April. And when the Chancellor announced the rates grant, uh, which was going to help hospitality sector, you know, bed and breakfast, self-catering and others, you know, with a 10,000 or 25,000 pound grant. Um, straight away, a number of authorities in Wales jumped on it and said, there's no way, and this is, quote, those greedy second homeowners are going to get access to that funding. That was what was said. And straight away, they went then to Welsh Government and said, look, we need guidelines to protect these greedy second homeowners from getting access to that funding. And what that did was create so much animosity, at which we, and I mean, I've got a dossier of emails and reports from people who still to this day have lost thousands and thousands of pounds and didn't get a penny because they decided that they weren't going to give those people that paid council tax any of that grant because that way it probably prevent those people um, who are second homeowners getting access to that fund you know we know you know because we've, we've probably got about 1500 businesses and many of them are self-catering bnb so we know the difference between the second homeowner and also a B&B and a self-catering operator. So we still, still to this day, we're getting emails of people who have not had a penny. In England, they were getting it in three days. B&Bs where they paid council tax or business rates, three days. Some of our businesses, three months it took them to get access to that fund. And that 
for me, started this whole social media outburst, you know, towards, you know, to visitors and um, second homeowners and everything else. And I know it's an emotive subject. I'm fully aware of that, but that's what kickstarted it. And that's what we witnessed all the way through social media to, to this day. And for me, I felt so bad for some of those businesses and we, we lobbied our MPs, we lobbied our assembly members to try and persuade those councils who were making things very, very difficult for people to get to access that money, which was given to them to support them in this pandemic. Yeah, so it, it's gone on. I said to you, it's kind of always been there. It hasn't gone away, but I think what COVID has done has just raised it as a, you know, as an issue. But all I will say is the more west you go across North Wales, the more dependent we are on tourism. And you can see by the economic value, you, know, you look at Gwynedd, you look at Conway, they're the powerhouses, and that's predominantly what our industry is, is tourism. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? The you know, law of unintended consequences with some of these things, when you, you push some, a policy in a particular way and it, uh, it sort of rebounds in a different way. I mean, I think you know, what, what a lot of COVID has brought to me is, is the importance of, uh, of good messaging on uh, you know, the way we put things forward, because uh, whether it be from you know, Boris Johnson saying certain things and creating all these uh, sometimes a, a dreadful way of, uh, of responding to COVID. Similarly, with the whole issue around second homeowners, highly emotive and that's we're really sensitive on the way we message some of those things will continue just to stoke up uh, uh, animosity can i just just go back to what i don't want to lose one of the points we mentioned earlier about some of the hotspot sites and i do think that we need to be much much cleverer in wales um, given that it's so important to our economy on managing and advertising some of the not so hotspot areas and spreading if you like the, the tourism pound whatever it may be across wales slightly more evenly i know it's very difficult at the moment when you've got um, different publications saying you know the top 10 places to go in wales and all the rest of it but we've got to be quite a lot more subtle about that really and spread people around uh, and, uh, and take the pressure off some of those hotspot areas because there, there are far better places to climb than snowden to be to be fair hundred 100% agree with you. And this is a plug for our new podcast, Adventures in North Wales. And it's exactly what we've done. And we targeted those places, Clanarman, Ruthin, and places that are just off the beaten track that are absolutely beautiful. But you're, you're right, you know, the honey pot of Snowdonia, there are so many other places to go and visit. And, you know, what we've tried to do, you know, in terms of spread our marketing spread and our itinerary planners and everything else is to spread it right across the whole of uh, North Wales. But you know, Snowdon is a, an iconic place that people, you know, want to go and challenge themselves and climb it. And, you know, they bring in hundreds of thousands of people just to climb, you know, Snowdon and go on the train. And, you know, it's, uh, it's world iconic. So, it's, you know, it's a difficult one to manage. It really is. I've still not, not got the attraction of uh, queuing up to, uh, to to stand on that bit right at the very peak. Uh, it kind of takes away some of the, the glamour and romance of it, you know? No, you're right. It does. I, I want to do a marketing campaign that says Wales has more than two mountains because it seems it's only Snowdon and Penavan that get a look in. And there are a couple more we've got we can boost. I'm just going to say what's well, interesting. I know we focused on Snowdonia, but you know in the Cluidian Range and Mulvamau, they had exactly the same issues because an ambulance couldn't get through because of the cars, the way they were parked, in order to treat you know a, a suspected casualty. You know, and that that caused a lot of problems. But we still we don't hear much about that. But it's happening. What well, we are, we do hear about Brecon Beacons and we do hear about Pembrokeshire and we hear about um, Snowdonia. But it does happen right across um, the area. 
the, in your experience, the problems we saw uh, in the honeypot uh, sites, it was wider than that. It, it was in far more yeah. less well-known areas of Wales where they had those problems. Yeah, absolutely. In, and especially the places where people can go outdoors and you know get the fresh air and everything else. And it comes back to what I said right at the beginning. It's all about managing the basic fundamentals of managing the destination. We know these places are going to be busy. We knew they were going to be busy and we just waited for it to happen and then reacted. And that's when all the social media rhetoric and anti-visitor came, came through. I wasn't going to touch on this, but you've both mentioned second homes. Do you still see that as a, as a big issue then in Welsh society? I do. I do have views on this and they're probably not going to suit everybody. But, you know, I come from a, a rural part of Wales. I know what it's like to have to leave those places because you can't get a job uh, that pays sufficient uh, monies to be able to afford a house. I think there's something fundamentally wrong when, uh, you know, when local people can't afford to even get on the bottom rung of a ladder in their locality. I, I, I fundamentally think it's, it's wrong. Houses have been seen more and more as an investment, as something for the future, by two, three, four of them. Whereas really, we've lost sight that uh, fundamentally, it's about a home for somebody. Uh, it's a difficult one to change that, really is, because it's kind of become embedded in our psyche now that um, you know, owning your house and maybe getting another one and seeing the prices go up and down and you think that you're worth a lot more. Than, you know, it's, um, we've, we've lost sight of what a, what a home is about, in my view. I, I, I agree entirely with Ed, and I think it's not just about the rural areas, it's about the whole of Wales at this moment in time. And young people trying to get on the ladder is very, very difficult for them at this moment in time. You know, we, we've been saying for many, many years, we want to retain the youngsters. We want to keep them, you know, keep them in their localities and everything else. But if the, the jobs aren't there, they have to go away. But what they want to do is come back eventually. And I know my children have done exactly that. Uh, one is still away, but eventually he'll want to come home. But how on earth he's ever going to be able to afford a house, you know, even in the urban areas, you know, of, of North Wales let alone, you know, some of the, the nice idyllic uh, rural areas where the houses are extremely expensive. I think how you tackle it, either you create more social, social housing for local people specifically, or, you know, if, if you're selling your house, it's highly unlikely that you're going to just sell it to someone from that community because you want the highest price. And, and that's, that's, that's the juggling you're going to have to do. You know, unless the council come in and subsidise, you know, local people in order to purchase it. But local people will want the best price, you know, for their house. And I think that's where the issue starts. Or you build more housing. I suppose you add to that as well, the, the whole, you know, right to buy thing as well. It took away those social housing, those council houses. Now, I'm not saying if you were in a council house and you were able to buy that property, what a wonderful, what a wonderful thing, you know, fantastic. But it took away another property from that locality that could have been used to house young families. So, you know, this is a long, long standing issue. Um, it's not going to be an easy one to, 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 to break. I'll tell you a quick story of um, something with a, with a national park that we, we, we dealt with. We would always have issues around barn conversions, you know, and, um, uh, and, and inevitably they tended to be um, bought up by people with a bit more cash behind them, converted into something, sold on to a house, which is going to be outside of the range of, of anybody in the locality, really. You know, and in terms of farms, we, we did put a kind of mechanism in there which kept it within the farm ownership. But we did, you know, get a lot of back for that because it, it, it meant that somebody couldn't develop their part of their home, or their property to sell on and make a bit of money. So, but ultimately, I still think that was for the right reasons because it kept 
that new property, if you like, or that refurbished property within a farming community, within that family. But yeah, you, you're not you're not going to be really popular as a politician doing some of this, or not across the board anyway. So yeah, um, another reason for not being a politician, really. Well, do you know what? My, my home is Clandidno, and I want to buy a home in Clandidno, but I can't afford it. How, how do you reconcile these views for young people wanting to be able to support them to, to be able to get on the property ladder? But in these areas, the economy has become such that it is primarily very seasonal based around its tourism industry. Do you, do you think COVID gives us an opportunity here, just in terms of you don't necessarily have to travel to a workplace anymore? Not in quite the same way. I, I'm not, it, it doesn't suit every job, I know. But surely there has to be a proportion of jobs where you can work within your community, either in your home or, um, or, or, or in a, you know, I don't know, some kind of community centre or something like that. I, Ed, know, Ed is I, just reading off my social media feed. <laughs> you know, I've always believed that, uh, that Kerry. But, you know, it, it is, we do have an opportunity to ch turn things around here a little bit socially. Um, and maybe, maybe it does give us an opportunity. I just can't say, my only concern about that, and I'm looking at, you know, and I've just spent a bit of time in London recently and also Manchester last week. And, you know, there are economic powerhouses for the whole of the UK. They must all be in North Wales because we're so busy at this moment in time. Because I'll tell you what, London and Manchester are desperate. Friday night in Manchester was normally the, one of the busiest nights. We had a walk, and the reason I was walking around Manchester was trying to find our tram, because we've got a tram wrapped, you know, as North Wales, the adventure capital and so on. And I was trying to find it, but it was like a ghost town. And in London, there's very few people in the offices. So those people not being in the offices are not going out spending their money they're not going out to the cafes, the restaurants, the bars, you know, renting the accommodation, which a lot of pension plans are around, you know, all this accommodation and the renting of these buildings and so on. It is, it is, it's a big, big issue. We know the internationals aren't going to come back until probably spring 2021. But, you know, the state cases and the short breaks, they're looking for places like the lakes, like Scotland, like Wales, to go probably not the cities of London, Birmingham, Leeds and Manchester and so on. But economically it's going to be a big issue going forward if those those don't start to flourish again for everybody yeah it's a good it's a good point i had heard sort of anecdotally some stuff from keller diggin you know that that uh, people felt well they, they don't need to work in uh, in london or wherever it may be you now so let's buy a property in keller diggin and we'll work from there you know until they find the broadband connection isn't maybe quite as good as uh, as they thought it was but you know the role of government is is or one of the roles of government is to sort of enable some of these potentially quite significant social changes and I would expect them to, but it's interesting I think that the, the difference the different take I guess between a Welsh government which is saying you know work from home as much as you can uh, keep doing it it's great to do and we'll you know we'll find another way around this and you've got a UK government which is saying a bit like uh, Jim said get back into the uh, the cities and you know, buy your coffee from your Starbucks down the road or whatever. I personally, I prefer the Welsh approach. I, I think there's a potential shift away from town centres, or sorry, city centres, to allow some of the outlying areas to flourish a little bit more. And uh, so you haven't got a coffee shop maybe in the middle of Cardiff, but you've got it in uh, maybe Blind Tron there, somewhere like that, you know. But there needs to be an enabling shift, some enablers to help that shift happen, you know. I think the first it's, it's not a particularly easy, um, easy thing. You know, this is these are potentially quite significant um, social changes. But um, 
you've got to sense them and, and, and decide whether they're the right things to do and then support them and enable those changes. I think the First Minister was saying today about, you know, the flexibility to have kind of have both, you know, to have that freedom to be able to work from home, but also to go into that office. Because an example that we have up in Colwyn Bay, um, you know, part of the regeneration strategy, they built a huge council office to house nearly 600 people. Because, you know, Colwyn Bay on the periphery is absolutely beautiful and the town centre needs some stimulus. So what they did, they built this big council building in order for those people to go out into the towns and start spending their money in the cafes. And sure enough, new cafes were opening, new shops were opening, and it was starting to, you know, see, you know, a little bit more in terms of um, being busy. But um, now with COVID, very few staff are in those offices. The talk is, will they be back? And will this building that they've just got for, I don't know how many years left, you know, on their, their lease, um, which is a beautiful big building, you know, is it just going to be, it's just going to be there, you know, for, for eternity with no people in it because they're all working from home. So it, it, it's going to be a fine balance going forward, I think. Um, of course, one of the things they could look with that, uh, Jim, and it's an area I've worked in, is to, to make it kind of a local office hub for other organisations to use as well. So you can bring people in. Yeah, I don't agree with that, Kerry, because I, I think then that's displacement because we've got a lot of businesses that have already got their offices and they had already been hit hard because, um, you know, people are working from home and said, you know what, we don't need an office anymore. So, you know, they're getting hit hard. And in, I think in Colin Bay is an example. There's quite a few of office spaces that are, you know, business led and commercially run. So for, you know, the public sector who's used the public purse to build this building and then to go and directly compete with them, I think it's probably a little bit unfair and it's probably a cluster displacement. One of the areas I just wanted to explore is just the view that tourism is a low-wage economy and it is that seasonal approach, which Matt said. And I know that in some parts of Wales that's true, in other parts it's not, and it's the lifeblood of the local economy. How do you see the future of tourism? Do you think we can move it up that value chain in any way? For, for us, it, it seems to be going that way. You know, we kind of uh, conjoined organisations, public, private, have been saying we want to make our offer all year, all year round to specifically deal with those issues you just raised, you know, seasonality and so on. Our campaigns tend to now take place in the shoulder season. So we spend a lot of our time and our money, you know, marketing, you know, round about now for October leading into November in order to try and keep the businesses open. And then we start again, you know, it just before January, February, you know, start for the Easter period. But in the summer, we're busy. So it's pointless doing any marketing in the summer. There's examples of the new industry coming in, and especially, you know, I've used Zitworld as a classic example, you know, from um, what I can recount, 221 jobs, local jobs, predominantly Welsh speakers, well paid, well above the minimum wage all year round as much as they possibly can and that's why they've created these indoor attractions and more and more businesses are starting to create indoor attractions and we've got lots of examples of investment adventure parks nodonia and dolgarig huge indoor adrenaline offer they've created as well their surf lagoon which normally closes in november and then opens again in march but they've created an indoor venue now they're about to build you know a 106 bedroom hilton hotel you know so you know, they're not doing that with just, you know, the seasonality in mind. They're looking at trying to create this, you know, all year round offer. And I think more and more businesses that we talk to are trying to do exactly the same thing. The quality is raising, the investment is going in there. And um, 
but the, I think for me, this just seems to be you know, more career opportunities with these big companies that are investing in, in our destination. I, I think as well, it, it, it is about, I agree with you in terms of the all, all year round destination. Um, this, okay, we talk about the weather all the time, but really that's the part that the weather is part of the experience if you're into those, um, those types of holidays, I guess. But some people do just want to come and, uh, you know, and walk by the seaside. In terms of the quality of the jobs, I think we've, we've all done ourselves down because if we see them as as low skilled and um, low value jobs, that's what they will be, you know, in terms of it is an important job giving good service people. So, so that's part of the thing, I think, in terms of raising the standards and how much money goes into the local economy. I, I was up in Zipworld um, about a, a fortnight ago, actually, and, and it is a great product. It's a great quality product. Um, I think perhaps in the past, quality has been variable in a lot of attractions. We're hoping, I'm certainly hoping, that when Zipworld comes to Rigos um, uh, in Hirwain, um, that we get a similar kind of product there. Tying it in as well to some of the other honeypot, um, the Waterfalls area, for instance, um, and, and, and just just trying to align some of these things so that they uh, they feed off each other to a certain extent. So you, you spread the wealth a little bit from the honey honeypots to some of the other areas as well. But I think for me, it's about quality and tw um, 12 months of the year quality as well. Yep, totally endorse that. <laughs> so if we, if we see that as the future with tourism, you know, intrinsic in uh, into our economy in many of these areas what about some of the kind of policy suggestions that have um, emerged in the the government kind of agenda on that would you would you think what we've talked about is about improving infrastructure what do you think of that kind of suggestion that we have a, a small bedroom tax or something like that you know we've been through this before with welsh government you know when they put the proposal forward for the four taxes and one of them was a tourism tax and as we do with everything we go out and we consult businesses on this and they were totally opposed to it and um, and then we thought you know it had been dropped and lo and behold obviously the uh, welsh government had started speaking to local authorities to bring in a tourism tax now at this moment in time you know we're at five percent vat which is great but, you know, but we were one of the highest, you know, paying VAT um, areas in, in probably in Europe. But now it's 5%. Obviously, it's helping. How long that's going to stay at 5%, who knows? But I think, um, you know, tourism tax is another emotive, emotive issue. And if we knew, you know, where the money was going to be invested, and there's a real reason I say that, because everyone uses the justification that it's going to be spent on infrastructure. However... You know, Welsh Government already give local authorities uh, what's called an enhanced population grant because the influx of visitors that come into that area is, and it's quite substantial. So the first thing we need to know, you know, if there's infrastructure work that needs to be doing, where, where's that money going? What's that money being spent on? Because when I say substantial, it is substantial. And once we know that, and we, we then know, right, we're going to start taxing, is it going to be on hospitality? Is it going to be on tourism? Is it, it's, it's quite a complex thing. You know, what, what's going to happen to the money? You know, where is it going to go? That, and that's what businesses will want to know if all of a sudden this policy is forced upon, you know, the industry. Um, I'm, I'm going to disagree, not, not with Jim here, but certainly with, with some of the feedback that he's, he's had from the businesses. I, and I understand any, any businesses are going to say on another tack, but for me, I, I really think it's a no-brainer. From European cities, from parts of Europe, um, apply a tax. 
you kind of notice it a little bit, but you don't really notice it that much. I think the key, as Jim said, is is where that money goes, and is it is it earmarked for um, the infrastructure in that particular area? And I think, I mean, you you can do that if you if you want to just throw it back out to local authorities. What do they call it? Non hypothecated or whatever. Spend it as you will. Then you're going to lose it. There's no two ways about that. But if you sell it on the basis of you know improvements to those particular localities, improving the offer then I think, I, th I think you can start to convince a few people there. I think what people have seen with the COVID, the staycations, if you like, and the pressures put on our infrastructure, I think now has got to be the time to do it because, because we have seen the creaking of this system. And I come back to what I said before about how we prioritise investment in infrastructure. You know, if we do it just purely on economic returns and we, we, we just, we just, it's same old, same old. We need to start focusing a lot more on the environmental and social aspects of, um, you know, of we, we say we're a sustainable uh, development nation where we're not necessarily practicing what we preach. Invest it on those social issues as much as some of the economic issues. Tie it into those local communities so that they can see what their tax is going to be spent on uh, and they can have a say in how that's spent as well. But, you know, for me, it's a no-brainer. Um, others do it, and I think... Uh, I can't see us getting any funding any other way, put it that way. We're coming up to the end of the pod, gents, and I just wanted you to consider, you know, where you think tourism is going in Wales, both if the pandemic continues, you know, how that's going to hit tourism, but also should we get back onto an even keel? Where, where do you see the tourism industry in Wales for the rest of this decade? First and foremost, the next few months are going to be crucial to the survival of many many businesses and thousands and thousands of jobs you know first priority is about survival and getting people through as safely as possible this last part of um, 2020 so they can look forward to 2021 with some optimism um, hopefully by then you know fingers crossed you know we may have a vaccine things may be looking a little bit better but for the sake of you know, an industry that we depend on in North Wales and from the communique that we've had with those businesses, the next few months, October, November, especially December, are crucial to the survival of many, many businesses. Our organisation, you know, we're already out there at the moment. We keep pushing that about short breaks. You know, we're not closed now. Summer's finished. We're still open. Keep coming to support our restaurants, come and support our accommodation and so on. And, um, and we'll drive that forward. We, we've been making huge inroads um, with the Japanese. Um, you may or may not have heard, but you know, from a North Wales perspective, perspective um, we've just twinned Conway Castle with Himeji Castle. We've had an influx you know, of thousands of Japanese visitors coming to North Wales that we never had before, because they were going to Chester. They were stopping at the border of Chester and they'd have carried on going down the, um, the border of Wales down into to Bath and then Oxford and London and home. So there's huge opportunity there with high spending international visitors. And we've been quite pacific with the Japanese because you may not be aware of this, but they designated, and everyone laughs when I say this and I can't understand why, but they designated the A55 as one of the top 20 most beautiful roads in Europe. And they called it the Road of Castles in Wonderland. And that was to promote Japanese tourists to come to 20 locations throughout Europe because they noted a huge dip in the number of Japanese visitors visiting Europe after these terrorist outrages and so on. And they needed to do something about it. 
and they created these campaigns. And the first one was the top 30 most beautiful towns and villages. Conway was selected, and we had three years of promotion by the powerhouse of Japanese tourism, Conway. And then all of a sudden, the numbers started to increase and the spend started to go up. Then he went to the road, then we twinned the castle, and we've got fantastic relationships. So international Pacific countries from an international perspective is something that organizations like us you know, are quite keen to work on because we've now got the, the recipe. Staycation, investment in quality, you know, you, we've got some really good high-end restaurants now being built and invested in with good renowned chefs, um, you know, our produce, our food, you know, so, um, and what we've got coming up, which is going to probably make it the most famous castle going is, um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. <laughs> In November, yeah, long term, next 10 years, we definitely need to crack this infrastructure issue that we have and we've have had for many, many years. Sustainability is obviously right up there is one of the um, key priorities to get sorted. Our infrastructure, our transport, again, goes without saying, but to be honest with you, this is the stuff we've been talking about for 10, 15 years and we still haven't cracked it. And the reason we haven't cracked it we're not all gelling together and we're not working to a focus to you know manage those those big issues that we've been speaking about um this evening i think i think for, for, from my perspective I, I think interesting to see the you know the international um flavor there from, from from jim and if you can get those you know off the a55 and down into the other bits of wales where there's more castles even better you know but i i think for me it's the staycation bit you know i i'm a north Walesian or mid to north wales lived down in, uh, in in Cardiff for a long time now. It never ceases to amaze me the amount of people from the south who have not been to the north. And it's it's just bonkers. If we can, you know, up the up the level of quality um, and, and market within Wales as well as beyond Wales, then I think there's a there's a you know there's a market in here as well. I know it's easy to be lulled by the kind of weather that we've had through this summer and it has been fantastic. Um, and it won't always be this way. But again, that's part of the of, of the marketing. Starting to see a few people sort of talking about we're going to go from the valleys up to um, uh, up to zip wire and stuff. You know, it's starting to happen, but it's slow, you know. So I'd, I'd like to see that internal market being exploited as well as the external market, you know. And I know for Jim, I've been, I've been um, the north of Wales. There. You've got, a, you know, some big conurbations there in northwest England. But, you know, we've got some pretty big, big bits of Wales as well. So I'd like to see that happening a, a lot more. But for me, it depends on getting that quality right. As Jim said, the infrastructure and whether people come from outside or inside Wales, um, the whole respect thing. Um, and we'll only do that if we respect the industry ourselves. Uh, on that note, I just want to say thank you to the both of you for coming on the show this evening. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do so, Jim? Well, my Twitter account is uh, at J. J J J eighty six. Thank you very much, Jim. Ed. Yeah, Twitter's the way to go, isn't it? Um, at Ed Evans Wales. Wonderful, nice and simple. Thank you so much for both being here. Uh, if you want to hear more about what we're doing at Hereith, please find us on Facebook and Medium at Hereith Blog Cymru and on Twitter at Hereith Blog. Thank you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.